Welcome to The Future Strategist with James Miller. As longtime listeners know, I'm extremely pessimistic about the future of humanity. I think that we're racing to create an artificial general intelligence that will probably destroy us. And if AI doesn't get us, the Fermi paradox seems to strongly hint that something is going to annihilate mankind before we are knowledgeable enough to start colonizing other star systems. Today I propose a soon-to-be-practical solution, one that has risks, but also one that some of my listeners might soon be able to play a very personal role in helping to implement. I propose that the best way for our species to overcome existential risk is to use genetics to create super-intelligent children. I think we might be able to start within a few years. Intelligence represents the ability to solve problems. Having smarter people will increase our ability as a species to overcome existential risks. Our survival might come down to figuring out the mathematics of friendly AI, and this might be beyond the ability of any existing human or group of humans, but perhaps not outside the reach of humans we could engineer. For every problem we could face, from global warming to bioterrorism to paperclip maximizers, having smarter people, I believe, would improve our odds. True, if these super smart people worked against what was in the common good for mankind, they could do a lot more harm than normal people could. But these genetically enhanced people, at least at first, would be very closely monitored as children, and we could probably tell if they were sociopathic or evil at an age in which they weren't developed enough or smart enough to know that they should hide their true intentions from us. Remember, one of the reasons that we need to be so worried about AI of superhuman intelligence is that this AI might realize from the very beginning that if it reveals itself to be evil from our viewpoint, that it would be in its best interest to hide its nature. But a child, even a child with a, a super genius IQ, is not going to realize this almost certainly. So if we, you know, we create children that are much smarter than John von Neumann, and they turn out you know, when they're five and six to be just horrible individuals, hopefully we would, we would learn this, and when they became older, we could you know, carefully watch them. And we certainly wouldn't put them in charge of teams of scientists or let them run you know, large corporations. So if we create super smart children and then monitor them, when they become adults, because we'd have the ability, but not the obligation, to leverage these geniuses by giving them lots of resources and lots of control over our society, I think the upside benefit of them is greater than the downside cost. And again, this, a lot of this comes out to the fact that because unlike with AI, they're probably going to reveal their nature when they're kids. Furthermore, you know, besides just studying the genetics of intelligence, hopefully we're studying the genetics of kindness, morality, and, and sociopathy. I mean, the, the fundamental result of behavioral genetics is that pretty much all human behavior has a large genetic basis. Not 100%, but a lot. So if you combine the behavior that has a genetic basis plus the behavior that's set by the time you're, say, eight, you know, that's probably most of what you're going to end up being. So if we knew enough about, you know, genes and human nature and all that, by the time someone is eight, we could probably tell if they're going to turn out to be good, evil, or in between. Now, 
the if we create super smart children, we don't have to have figured out the basis of, of mor genetic basis of morality until these kids are older, right? We could create, you know, thousands of super smart children. Then if we, you know, 10 years later, we figure out the, the genetics of, of kindness or whatever, then we could apply that to these kids and say, okay, yeah, you kids are smart and nice. You kids are smart and evil. So you're going to be restricted in what you can do. Yeah, it's unfair to the kids who are evil just because of genetics, but you know, it's unfair normally to kid. If you turn out to be a, a, a sociopath now and you're not smart enough to hide it, you probably live a pretty miserable life and end up in prison. So I, I would urge, because just because I think we're in such enormous peril from existential risks, that even if we figure out the genetics of intelligence before the genetics of morality, that we should first create the kids, create the super smart kids, and then, you know, give ourselves 10, probably 20 years before we figure out the genetics of kindness. And then we can test these kids. The kids that turn out well, those are the ones we give lots of resources, lots of control. And the kids that don't turn out so well, they're the ones who are closely monitored and watched. And of course, in extreme situations, we, we do things that, well, from a consequentialist viewpoint, we, we kind of have, might have to do. There are three technologies that I think are soon going to allow us to genetically engineer geniuses. And by soon, I mean within the next five to 10 years. The first is CRISPR, which is the gene editing technology we culturally appropriated from bacteria. So I'm not going to go into CRISPR in, in too much detail, but, but definitely, you know, if you're listening to my podcast, it's the kind of thing you're going to find very interesting. So I think basically with CRISPR bacteria, we found out we're doing gene editing. So we're like, hey, we can do this too. And then we're improving upon it. Now, right now, from what I understand, CRISPR isn't good enough to make lots of changes to a genome and then also not change things you don't want to. So it's like, you know, imagine you're making edits, but sometimes it makes edits you don't want, which is, you know, really bad when messing with a human genome. But apparently we're making rapid improvement with CRISPR. So it might soon be possible to make large numbers of edits to a human genome. And specifically, I, I think it might be easiest to, um, to edit embryos. And probably the reason it'll be easier to edit embryos than an actual human is that, you know, if you edit the genome in an embryo and it doesn't work, you make some mistakes, you just don't use that embryo. While if the human, you know, you're doing it with a baby and you make mistakes, well, we're, you know, not going to throw out the baby. So you don't need to have the error rate as nearly as low if you're editing embryos in, than if you're you know, working on editing actual people. The second technology that's going to help us, I think, soon be able to create super geniuses is the low-cost gene sequencing, right? We initially sequenced a human genome. It would cost billions, but the price is going down and down. And this is allowing us to sequence the genes of a huge number of humans and we can collect literally trillions of pieces of data relating genes people have and phenotypic traits like intelligence, you know, how nice you are, whether you've been arrested for murder, stuff like that. And the final technology that's going to allow us to create super smart children is just the normal Moore's law. Um, we have these trillions of pieces of data connecting, you know, with, with genes and, and, and traits, and we sort of have to put them together, run complicated regressions. And this is one of the reasons why I think physicists are and will continue to play a key role in genetic analysis because they are trained 
to handle huge pieces of data, you know, like particle physics stuff. They do have trillions of pieces of data that they have to look at, and they have the, the math background to do this. So I think with, when you have cheap enough computers that can handle huge amounts of data, you can have lots of researchers looking at this data, coming up with results. And then the advantage of, uh, of this kind of technology is you can test it, right? You, you have a, a theory, you said, oh, I think this people with these combinations of genes, they'll be smarter. Okay, you do that with existing data. Then you find people whose genes you've never sequenced. And you say, okay, well, let's see if you're right. Let's give IQ tests to 100 new people whose genes haven't been sequenced, we'll give them the IQ tests, then we'll sequence their genes, and we'll see if you're right, if you've been able to anticipate which people are smarter than not. Or with the genetics of morality, we'll say, fine, let's let's sequence the genes of a bunch of people in prison and people are not, and can you predict which people kind of went bad? If you can, well, that's 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 pretty good evidence that you have, um, you found something important. We don't yet know how easy it's going to be to genetically engineer super geniuses. But if the universe is very kind to my proposal, then Greg Cochran's idea, and Greg is, is a past guest, I've, I've had him on a few times, his idea of creating an average person, if, if that idea works out, it's actually going to be really easy once we've sort of gotten CRISPR down to engineer super geniuses. Now, if Greg Cochran, sorry, and he's not certain this is true. It's just a, you know, it's a thought experiment. His idea that is that rare harmful mutations play a big role in the variation of human intelligence. And if you take an embryo and you replace all of its rare genes, you know, maybe you know, there's, a, there's a gene variant that maybe just this embryo has, no one else. So it was a new mutation, or maybe the embryo, you know, maybe the mutation was infl was first came about through a great-grandfather, so it's very limited. If you just replace these rare variants with common variants, you'll create an embryo that has the potential to turn into someone who's smarter than ever, than has ever existed. From what I understand of the evolution of human intelligence, this average man super genius idea, it makes a lot of theoretical sense. One of the strangest things about IQ and evolution is like, why didn't evolution make us all equally smart? So if you study IQ, and this is a little bit politically incorrect, so you might not have had this if you know in your psychology class, but IQ is like correlated with everything good, positively correlated, I think with the exception of eyesight. So it's weird that if IQ is so useful, why why isn't everyone really smart? I mean, why didn't evolution just you know seriously favor everyone who's smart and then it made us as smart as you know genes could make us? Now, in the modern world, you can understand because being people who are smarter tend to have fewer children in a lot of countries and people who aren't. So evolution probably right now isn't pushing to make us smarter. But certainly in the hunter-gatherer days and we were we were peasant farmers, being smart was a, a definite advantage. So why isn't that why is it that evolutionary selection pressure didn't make us all as smart as we could be? Why is there so much variation in human intelligence? Well, if just a few genes determined intelligence, there was a hundred genes, you know, and depending on what variant you got that determined how smart you are, you would expect evolutionary selection pressure for select for everyone to get all the best genes. Now, if there was a new variant that came in, yeah, it would take a while to spread. But you know, absent that happening. Well, you know, all the good genes would fixate and we'd all have equal intelligence. 
you know, with the exception of rare harmful mutations. But with the advantage of Gregg's theory is that it's possible that evolution really strongly favors higher intelligence. It has for most of human existence, but yet it still wouldn't succeed in making everyone really smart. Everyone say as smart as a person who's like at the 99th percentile. Now let me explain why. A child, of course, gets a mix of his parents' genes plus a few random mutations. As making changes to a genome is far more likely to be harmful than beneficial, these random mutations will likely reduce a child's fitness. Now, when this child grows up, has kids of his own, he's going to pass on his novel harmful mutations, plus the kid will get a few extra. Now, the reason this our species doesn't fall apart, because this would seem, you know, on average, you've got like, you know, half your dad's harmful mutations, half your mom's, plus a few extra. So you'd think, well, eventually you'll have so many harmful mutations that you just, you can't function, you can't reproduce. The reason this doesn't happen is because evolution strongly selects against people who have too many harmful mutations, and it selects in favor of people who have relatively few. So even though the average child, because of the possibility, the certainty of getting extra harmful mutations, so the average child is less fit than his parent, um, the children who are above average in fitness, they'll have more children, at least have throughout most of human existence, than the children who are below average. And if you have too many harmful mutations, you probably don't even get born. You know, there's, there's probably a spontaneous abortion. And so if you work out the math, what I think happens is there's kind of an equilibrium and the environment doesn't change. Each generation has about, on average, the same number of harmful mutations as the one before. But there's a wide variation in how, much, how many harmful mutations an individual person has. And it's possible that this variation of harmful mutations, this explains variation in human intelligence. It might not. This is just a theory. And this is true even if, you know, it's having few harmful mutations is really helpful. The reason evolution doesn't give everyone very few harmful mutations is that it can't. That would require, you know, perfect copying of DNA. And, and the you know, nature of DNA means that that's not happening. So it's entirely possible that if we accept, if it were true, that harmful mutations play a major role in who's smart and who's not. And throughout most of human existence, evolution strongly favored people who were really smart. This could be true. And yet, everyone wouldn't be equally smart because of just the way DNA replicates. Now, also the way that the math works of harmful mutations, there's no way you're ever going to get somebody to have zero harmful mutations. So the people who we think are really smart, John von Neumann, maybe Albert Einstein, if my, this theory is true, if Greg's theory is true, they had a relatively small number, but they probably still had a lot. And there's never been a human with zero rare harmful mutations. So if we were to genetically engineer such a human, he might be smarter than anyone who's ever existed. The advantage of this approach, if it turns out that rare harmful mutations they play a big role in the variation of human intelligence. The advantage of this approach is that we don't actually have to understand any more about the genetics of intelligence to create a super genius. All we have to do is take an embryo, we identify all the rare variants, and that's easy, right? You just say, okay, you know, how many people have this variant? If it's really tiny, you know, if you've sequenced 
you know, 20 million genomes, and you find, hey, look, only 10 people have this particular variant. Well, we'll get rid of it. We'll replace it with something common. And because you're replacing it with something common, it's probably going to work out. And so we can get rid of all the rare mutations in someone. This will cause us to have gotten rid of all of the rare harmful mutations. And if they play a big role in the variation of human intelligence, we'll have created someone quite possibly smarter than has ever existed and also probably fitter in every other sense, healthier, maybe better looking. Maybe if rare harmful mutations play a role in someone being asymmetric or their nose, you know, not looking quite right. This person will be gorgeous and smart and, I don't know, happy. Well, happiness comes from having pain, of having something not quite work in your system. Yeah, that'll, that'll happen too. And from what I understand, it might be possible five to 15 years to create an embryo of someone without any rare mutations. And if this person turns out to be significantly smarter than anyone who's ever existed, that, that could be fantastic if this person grows up to be an adult who you know, works on solving the big problems of mankind. And then if we recognize, you know, we create a bunch of these individuals, we recognize, whoa, they're extraordinarily smart. Hey, let's give them control of a bunch of our institutions. Let's, you know, let, let them re, um, run scientific labs. Let them you know, be professors thinking about better systems for setting up democracy and all that. This could really help our species. We don't need that many to put them in leadership roles and have them run things. You know, John von Neumann, he wasn't just really smart. Einstein, I think, you know, most of his work came from his own brain. A lot of what von Neumann did came from his, his leadership role. He was a, you know, a, a people person. So we could create a lot of people who were really smart and really good at running organizations. Now, there's a lot of risks, of course, to do this. There's risk to the individual and there's risk to society. To reduce the risk to the individual, we could you know, experiment first on, on animals. We, we first do this with an ape. This could go badly if we, you know, we create a super smart ape and we create a planet of the ape situation, but probably not. I mean, if we create a small number of apes, even if they're vastly smarter than any human, as long as they're not like godlike intelligence, I mean, they're not likely to be able to take over things, right? They're very smart. They're not going to like probably figure out a way of breaking into atomic weapon lockers or programming stuff on computers. We can, you know, they're going to grow up. We'll, we realize these people are very smart. We could, we could limit them, you know, so it's probably not a threat. And we could also do this slowly. We could create an ape that has half the harmful mutations that a normal ape does and then a fourth. And if we see we're creating something much smarter than us, we could like, okay, this is working. Well, we won't create apes, super smart apes, just to make sure nothing bad really, really happens. Now, the animal testing, of course, could never guarantee that things won't go wrong for the children who are genetically engineered this way. We're going to have to take a chance. But honestly, I think, I think it's worth it. I think the stakes of our survival are so high that it is worth putting you know, children at risk. And I wonder if the risks are even higher than what we do now. I mean, we know if you know you wait till you're 40 before you have a kid, or you know, you, a couple is 40 years old, they try to have a kid, there are risks for a lot of diseases that they wouldn't be there if the parents were 20 years old. But we don't think people who are 40 who are trying to have a kid are evil. You know, we don't say, oh, horrible, why didn't you do this at 20? You're creating kids that could have these risks. No, we, we accept that. And I think part of the reason is, just I would say is, well, you know, it's existing is generally a good thing. So the alternative for parents who are 40 to not have a kid is, you know, the kid doesn't come into existence. It's better to have a kid where there's a higher risk of, of something wrong happening.
So these, these kids who have genomes that have been genetically engineered, they wouldn't exist absent, you know, our, our attempting to experiment with them. Now the risk to civilization that these children will act badly and maybe they will find out they're kind of going to be evil, but we won't quite have the heart to limit them. And if we weren't at risk in destroying ourselves, I'd say, yeah, we, we, should, we should be worried about that. This is like the con from you know, the Star Trek series. But my, my personal view, and I'm not going to go into it in this podcast, is that we are in big trouble. It's looking like we might not survive the century. In fact, I'd put the odds at well below 50%. And when you're in trouble, it's worth doing something that's, that's quite risky. Um, so I, I think we should, we should do this. I think we should go full steam ahead trying to create super intelligent children. I would urge your listeners that this is something you should be open to. I mean, right now, you you you, you know, unless you're a billionaire, you, you can't really have a kid that's been genetically engineered with CRISPR, but in five to 10 years, you might. And this, this might be the greatest contribution of transhumanists, that we might be especially willing to use genetic engineering on our, our, our children. And if, if you are open to this, I, I would urge you to consider, you know, if you're, you're young enough, I'm, I'm too old for this, but if you're young enough and you're planning what you're going to do, maybe have a plan of creating, of having children that have been genetically engineered to be extraordinarily smart. Now, I, I have a, a 12-year-old son, and he certainly wasn't genetically engineered, but he is very smart. He is much smarter than I am, and that's a lot of fun. That's a definitely a good thing. From a purely selfish point of view, having a kid who is much smarter than you are is a lot of fun. Now, these genetically engineered kids will be, you know, even smarter than him, but, you know, it's, it's neat to have a kid who can outthink you, who can challenge you at chess at a very young age, who learns things very quickly. So I think if this works out for society, it's, it's also going to make for, you know, y- you having a fun time while your kid is a kid. Well, thank you very much for listening to The Future Strategist today. Uh, if you like this podcast, please upvote me on whatever place you, you go to to listen to podcasts. Maybe go to iTunes, write a review, and upvote it there. Um, and there's a Facebook group called Future Strategists. So I just it's mostly my posting articles on technology, existential risk stuff that I find interesting. Please uh, consider finding and, and joining the Future Strategist Facebook group. Well, thank you very much. Goodbye.